Welcome to an Acro Capitalist Cast, sponsored by Magi Productions. My name is Brian Augsted, professor of economics, speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. Today's podcast is entitled Money, 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 Money. I'm going to break it up into four parts because it's probably a little bit longer than the typical five-minute podcast that I try to stick to. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time or recently tuning in, I try to keep them at five minutes to make it quick and easy for people to listen to who are on the go, and I call them pod blasts. Part one is on the origins of money. Part two is on private coinage. Part three, the banking system. Part four, inflation. I will also download um, the talk in its entirety if you would rather just listen to it all at once as opposed to have it broken, having it broken down into four parts. Um, um, so that is the four parts. So for today, part one, the origins of money. Um, so we're starting at the beginning, looking at how did money come about. Um, and typically where the, um, the best place to start is with the idea of exchange and understanding exchange. So for example, why do we, why do we make, why do we exchange with our fellow man? Well, it's the answer to that is obvious for most. It's because we desire something that we do not currently have. Um, so we trade what we have with them to get what we desire. Um, so what is the value in that? Um, for example, when a man exchanges fish for lumber, he values the lumber more than he does the fish that he makes the exchange for. On the other hand, the man who values the fish greater than the lumber. When we think about ex the history of exchange, if you go back from Aristotle to Marx, um, even up to, to modern day, to a lot of thinkers today, men have mistakenly believed that exchange records some sort of value. For example, if one barrel of fish is exchanged for 10 logs, then there is equality between um, a barrel of fish and 10 logs. In reality, the exchange that is made between parties is only made because each of the individuals valued um, the other product to a higher degree than what they possessed. Why is exchange um, so universal among us, among man? The answer to that is in nature. If we look in nature, there's a great variety. You know, there's a great diversification in man, in our skills, our talents, our abilities, our aptitude. Um, there's a great um, diversification in nature, in locations, and resources in these locations, in climate. Um, so in all of this great diversity, you know, certain crops can be grown in some places and not in others. Um, certain people have skills and talents and aptitude to a greater degree in one area than others do. Um, so this great diversification allows us then to be able to specialize and do what we all do best. If we weren't allowed to exchange, we would have to be completely self-sufficient. And if that was true today, I don't know that most of us could survive. 
because we've been specializing for so long that we lack requisite skills necessary to survive. Um, exchange, then, I would say, is the lifeblood of the economy and of civilization, which allows us to then specialize. Let's continue this whole idea of, of trade or exchange or barter. If Jones hires a laborer to build his house, how's he going to pay him? Is he going to pay him with chickens, fish, cows, corn? Even if he has those things, what if the laborers were not in need of any of those things? Then how could he hire them to have them work on his house or build his house? Well, that has posed a problem throughout history. So there, what man has come to understand is that there's two basic problems with exchange or trade or barter. In that, and these are indivisibility and also the lack of coincidence of wants. For example, um, if Smith only has a car to trade, but he desires all kinds of items like a TV, uh, an iPhone, clothes, refrigerator, whatever, um, how's he going to trade his car and get all of those things? Um, to find one person who possessed all the things that he needed and who also wanted his car would be very difficult for him to accomplish. Um, um, even if Smith were to take apart his car and, and try to exchange parts of his car for these items individually, he still has the problem of finding people who are in need of the part that he is willing to exchange to then get the product that he desires. So historically, what man has discovered then is that this idea of indirect exchange. Um, for example, I do not need a fish, but I know you do, and I need your corn, and I don't have a fish. So what I will do is I'll trade with somebody else um, something they desire in order to get their fish so then that I can take the fish that I just exchanged for and trade it to you and get the corn that I desire. And that's the whole idea of indirect exchange, trading with someone else to get what to trade with another party to get what you truly desire. And then as more and more men discover the desirability of this item that's being exchanged, um, it then has a greater marketability. People then come to desire it more and more because they know they can readily trade it to get what they want. And then that comes to be the medium of exchange. And historically what we've seen is that certain items have risen to the top and become money because of certain qualities that they hold, like that are more divisible, more durable, more transportable. And then because of all of these things, they end up also then having a greater demand. And as more and more people, because of this markability, start using this common media of exchange, this, whatever it is, comes to be called money. And if we look back throughout history, we can see Tons of examples, like um, tobacco in colonial Virginia, sugar in the West Indies, salt in Abyssinia, cattle in ancient Greece, nails in Scotland, copper in ancient Egypt. So lots of things have risen, have been this common media that have risen to the top um, via indirect exchange to become money. But... What have we typically seen? You know, those are some unusual examples, but they do make a point. They do show that money can be anything. But typically what we've seen, because of 
qualities of divisibility, being durable, being transportable. Um, we've seen gold and silver historically rise to the top and become the medium of exchange to a greater extent than um, any of these other items. Real money, true money, cannot be created out of thin air. It cannot be just um, created by government decree. When money is created that way, which is how our fiat currency, the currency that we use, when it happens that way, it is nothing more than a, than a counterfeit or a misrepresentation of what truly money is. Money has to have pre-existing prices on which to ground demand. And the only way that this can happen is with a, when a commodity rises to the top under a barter system. When that happens, prices naturally come about via exchange. The state is powerless or has no way to create real money for the economy. It has to develop, just as I've stated, just as I've shown, it has to develop through a free process, individuals voluntarily exchanging with each other in the marketplace. Anything else it would be a counterfeit or a false representation of the real thing. Through this scenario, what I've just described, the truth about money emerges. We can see, we can see it clearly how money emerges, that it differs from other commodities in that it is demanded mainly as a media of exchange, like money, like all commodities, would have a pre-existing stock, or does, like gold or silver, has a pre-existing stock, and it faces demands by people who buy and hold it, just like any other commodity. And like all other commodities, its price, in terms of other goods, is determined by the interaction of total supply or stock of the total demand by the people who buy and hold it. Or stated another way, people buy money by selling goods and services, just as they sell money when they buy goods and services. So money, real money, is just like any other commodity. It's value for value. Just like the exchange or barter takes place. Value for app value. Apple for an orange. We both get something of value. Or via indirect exchange. Um, I, I trade my apple to somebody else and get a banana because you want a banana and I really want your orange. So then I get, give you the banana and I get the orange. It is still value being exchanged with each other. And then as enough of us do this in the marketplace, the common commodity that is becomes marketable and we know that everybody wants it, that commodity rises to the top because it's most desirable in which to make exchanges. That then becomes money. Just like the, the examples of tobacco, sugar, salt, cattle, nails, copper. And typically it's been gold and silver. And that is how money has historically and how only true money can rise to the top. And if you think about it, we see the evolution of money now moving towards electronic currencies, which is really the same thing as free people trying to establish a electronic commodity form of money in which we can freely use to um, exchange with and trade on the marketplace. There's no different than these other examples. Um, the only false money is fiat currency, which is used by the governments around the world. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one. 
part two. Um, coming up next, we'll be starting off and talking mostly about private coinage and what that looked like in history and if that's even legitimate or not. Then we'll move on to the banking system and inflation to wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in for an Acro Capitalist Cast. This is Brian Ogstead. Good day.